Now, leading up to the midterms, there's a lot of uh, awful voter suppression going on. That's why I'm proud to present a new segment called Fox News Tips for Black and Hispanic Voters. <laughs> we want to make sure your voices are heard. So, tip one, never vote on Tuesdays. <laughs> the crowds are the absolute worst on Tuesdays. Tip number two, Palettes can be confusing. If you see R next to a name, that means really a Democrat. And the letter D means that's a Republican. And tip three, you already voted. You might not remember voting, but you did, so just relax. And those tips were brought to you by Medical Sneakers. Jealous of your nurse's style? Get Medical Sneakers. And American Jesus Commemorative Plates. See Jesus the way he really was as an American. Let's take a break. When we come back, an update from disgraced former actor Alec Baldwin, seen here molesting a young Boy Scout. And live from New York, it's Saturday! It's Saturday Night Live! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 4 of SNL with host Jonah Hill and musical guest Maggie Rogers. I'm John Murray, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonah Hill. In SNL-related news, Alec Baldwin was arrested and charged with assault and harassment on Friday following a dispute over a parking spot. And the spectacle surrounding the breakup of Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande has heated up as the former couple exchanged jokes, tweets, and dropped empowerment songs in an effort to bring closure to their summer romance. And since I have absolutely no interest in discussing any of that, we're just going to jump right into the recap. Okay, agreed. <laughs> Excellent. I thought you were going to make me talk about that. No, just wanted to put it to bed, make sure that the audience understood that we are uh, well aware of all of the silliness that went down last week. But honestly, who cares? <laughs> Let's just talk a little SNL. Yeah. So with that said, cold open. On Fox News, Laura Ingram and her cohorts provide dispassionate, objective, measured commentary on Trump's operation Eagle with a Huge Dong. I always enjoy SNL poking fun at Fox News. They're pretty easy targets. Mm -hmm. uh, they probably know that deep down. <laughs> uh, especially these two, uh, Laura Ingram, as played by Kate. I thought it was great characterization from her and also Cecily. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was an overall pass. A yep. good cold open. Decent way to open the show for sure. Yeah, there wasn't anything groundbreaking. Uh, it was pretty run of the mill, but... It was fun. They just found a lot of fun beats, especially the intercutting of all of the out of place video, you know, the Walmart stampede, the zombie attack, you know, all that stuff that they're trying to sell as legitimate on the scene footage. That was a fun little, you know, thing to throw in there to get a, a couple of quick jokes. Uh, I felt it was working pretty well. I, I really enjoyed it too. I like that they kept up with the uh, the sponsors that have stuck with her <laughs> yes. after she had a, a, a lot of them leave. Right. That was a nice thing to keep in. Yeah. So if we remember when she showed up at the update desk, she was talking about how she lost all her sponsors and now she only has like the geriatric demographic. So that was a nice little nod to kind of what they've already established with the character. There was a lot here that was fun. 
Yeah. Monologue. Seth, I mean Jonah, visits the modern, more woke five-timers lounge. We get cameos from Tina Fey, Candace Bergen, and Drew Barrymore. Oh, I saw what you did there. Seth, not Jonah. Jonah, not Seth. <laughs> Easy mistake to make. Uh, I thought this was a pretty good kind of twist on the whole five-timers club thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen it enough times. Uh, it can get monotonous if you just go back and try to do the same thing every time. Right. So while not as star-studded, I think they conformed it to what's kind of going on in the political climate and, you know, a more modern sensibility made for some good uh, refreshing comedy with an old idea. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of an obvious thing to weave the the whole Me Too angle into it. Uh, I guess they had Candace Bergen at arm's reach and Tina Fey is always game. So they knew what they had to work with. They had some fun with it. I thought it was a fun concept like you, but I don't think they found a whole lot of funny in it. I think just, you know, a lot of the kind of easy run of the mill sort of jokes that you would find in it. But, uh, you know, beyond that, I, I wouldn't give it super high marks. A little, a little clunky at times, but overall, you know, it was fun enough. Yeah. And he looks great in that, uh, in that jacket. Sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, uh, bedazzled <laughs> high cut, uh, form fitting new version of the five timers jacket. That was fun. Yeah. So, you know what? It had its moments. I'm not going to be too critical of it. I just felt, you know, a little clunky at times, but overall the idea was fun. It was charming. Anytime they bring Tina Fey out, I'm going to count it as a win. So yeah, I'll, I'll give this a pass. This work. I'll give this a pass. And uh, jackets don't have genders. Just remember that. <laughs> Very true. Let's take a look at our first live sketch. Six-year-old Adam Grossman and his nanny dine at Benihana. We knew that we were going to get another outing with Adam Grossman. What'd you think? Oh, possibly the best one yet. <laughs> Maybe it's just because it's new and fresh material. Yeah. Uh, I've loved every outing of this little six-year-old Jewish <laughs> devil. Yes. Boy, he's uh, he's incorrigible. That one. You know the chemistry that he had with uh, Leslie was great. They must've had some inside joke with all of the Bob Marley songs because you know, they were hopeless in keeping it together. Yeah. But it, it was very cute. The two of them and yeah, a lot of great writing and, and, and that's what really makes this stuff work. And not only that Jonas performance, of course, right. he's, he's a, uh, he's really shines in this. Yep. I agree wholeheartedly. I think this was probably the best outing of Adam Grossman that we've seen. The writing felt very sharp. His delivery was right on, you know, the whole way through, even though there was a little bit of breaking there at the end and sometimes just his like really loud, abrasive yelling of the the lines that can sort of make it a little harder to kind of keep up and track what he's on about. But that notwithstanding, I felt like, you know, everything about this was really firing. Uh, I was good on it. Definitely a big thumbs up. Good way to start the material tonight. Two big thumbs up. This is what I love about live television. Only then would you see something take up a whole beat like a Heidi getting <laughs> startled by a falling shrimp. Sure. Like just little things like that. It's so funny how something so small and minute can actually cause a small hiccup in the sketch overall. Now, actually, let's let's explore that quickly before we move on, because I'm not 100% sure that that was a gaffe. I think that the whole point of her character was she's the incompetent understudy chef because the other guy got nixed for stealing beef. So she's not good at her job. That's why she tosses the whatever the shrimp over uh, Mikey Day's head. Like, I think that that was actually a little bit of performance on her part to to kind of scoop stuff onto the floor there before she kind of gets into her little 
spiel. Uh, so that, that was my read on it. But if you're thinking that that's just, you know, the, the jitters of a live performance, I, I couldn't say one way or another. I don't know. It seemed unexpected because Leslie, uh, she was already cracking up at this sure. point in her defense, but she, she cracked up at that too. Yeah. So it wasn't, uh, probably wasn't in rehearsals if it caught her off guard like that. Yeah, it could be, could be, but it doesn't take much to get Leslie going. So I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think that that's really the, the bellwether that we should be relying on for this. Um, but who knows? Wouldn't, wouldn't pass in court. Let's say. If that was actually performance on Heidi's part, then good on her for just really being able to have a natural ability to fumble. Uh, that's, that's an art form in and of itself. So if it was performance, great. If it was just the, the fun of live television, whatever it was, it was working just fine in a sketch that I was already having fun with. So yeah, <laughs> moving on, we get a pre-tape democratic voters are genuinely confident that this time they're going to win that doubt in the back of everyone's mind. I think that's relatable. Sure. Maybe people aren't quite as on edge as what's depicted here. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Maybe they are. Maybe they're just better at hiding it. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I thought it was pretty clever. Yeah. I think they were tapping into some genuine apprehension among the democratic votership. So there, there's some truth on display. They had a lot of fun with it. They took it over the top. You know, Kate blows out the windows of her little flower shop there with her, her anxious squeal. Uh, you know, Heidi unloads on her kids, <laughs> which I think for my money might have been the best moment of the whole thing. Uh, it had a few really good moments and I think they took a pretty simple, fun idea and, uh, you know, played it up, had some fun with it. This was good. I enjoyed it. It was aces. Yep. Okay. Let's keep moving. We get a live sketch. KCR News Albany weather girl Drew Mellencamp receives an unwelcome proposal. It's funny, you know, it's one thing to go all in to, um, you know, make a public proposal. Right. Even in a restaurant, you're taking some risk, right? But to do it on live TV, (laughs) even that is one thing, but this guy never had a shot in the first place. Or so you thought. (laughs) Yeah, because of that twist. And we'll talk about that little twist later. Yeah. But, uh. All of this was just uh, hilarious because, you know, he did not have a fighting chance going in, (laughs) but that didn't stop him from continuing to crawl through. Right. He doubles down. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cringe humor Mm -hmm. at its finest up until that twist. If you want to touch on that. Yeah. So I I was feeling pretty much the same as you. I was having fun with this, you know, this poor guy kind of hung out to dry uh, without a leg to stand on as far as, you know, confidence looks, <laughs> you know, he has nothing to bring to the table in their relationship. No. She's obviously lukewarm on it, but then they flip the script. It turns out she was just playing coy because she really had an elaborate proposal that she wanted to do. And he trampled it by coming in and sort of prematurely proposing to her. So, you know, cue the dancers, cue the, uh, <laughs> the Pocahontas theme song. Uh, All of the other newscasters are in on it. What do you make of that as a twist? Did that work or was that kind of a, an awkward mashup of two different sketches? Yeah. I never think this works and I've complained about it whenever we've come across it. I've never been a fan of the winning over the other side just to finish off the sketch. I think it cheapens the whole premise of it just to, do a complete 180 sure. and change the whole reason why she's denying him. Yeah. Because the, the reason she's denying him is right there. It's right. in the premise. It's because he's a loser. It's because they haven't been together that long. You know, there's a whole list of real reasons and it sounds like they just give up and say, well, let's just put in that twist just to get a, another 30 seconds 
to close off the sketch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. Okay. It does feel like two different ideas mishmashed together. And uh, it's one thing that I, I'm not the biggest fan of that they, they tend to go to. Okay. Uh, I was batting that around trying to kind of figure out, was this part of the original pitch for the sketch? Like, is this what they were intending to do and maybe just didn't establish it very well? Uh, so it kind of takes you more by surprise than it should have. Or was this kind of, like you said, a sketch without an ending that someone just said, well, you know, just make her into it. And that's kind of the surprise reveal. And we'll just have a little bit of fun with that. I don't know. I don't know if they just kind of didn't have a great way of setting the table for that or whether it was tacked on. Couldn't say one way or another, but either way, it felt pretty clunky and jarring watching it the first time through and having that shift the way that it did. Cause you're just kind of left wondering how that original sketch would have resolved if they'd kind of finished it through to its logical conclusion. So yeah, that, that wasn't my favorite moment, but I got to say they kind of won me back with just yeah. how ridiculous her proposal would have been. Uh, you know, everyone all done up uh, with the Pocahontas stuff weaved in there. And then, you know, her estranged mom just trying to milk the screen time for all it's worth <laughs> off at the side. I got to say that what they ended up doing with it actually did kind of charm me and win me over by the end. So as much as I feel like that's kind of a, a bizarre avenue to take a sketch and didn't feel very organic. And, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why from maybe a narrative standpoint, it doesn't make much sense. Just purely as comedy, I still had fun with it. So I got to yeah, say, don't get me wrong. I liked it too. Yeah. The, I, I, but I feel like I'm not just going to be like, well, the first half was funny. And then the second half was weird. So it's kind of a half win. I'm going to say, you know, as much as I wasn't expecting them to do that and wasn't really on board with them taking that turn, what they ended up presenting after that was still so much fun that I got to look at the sketch as a whole and say, okay, well, that's fine. You did something a little different. Wasn't expecting it, but I had a lot of fun. Great. I'll take it. That's a win. Yeah. I didn't mean to dwell on it so right, much because right. there's so much to like about this. Yeah. They really nailed the news crew banter. Sure. Yeah. And and just took it in a very dark place there, right? Like they're, they're, they're having some very off color humor between the two anchors. And then she just casually admits that she ran someone over. So they already kind of made this world a little bit more, you know, absurd and dark than you would have expected going into the sketch. So I wasn't sure what they were setting the table for there. They didn't do much with it after that, but even that was just a, you know, a fun little amuse bouche to get you started. So yeah, a lot here. This was good. And I love how they reported Cecily's hit and run later and nobody made the connection. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The cops are looking for, uh, (laughs) so yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. Can't really peg what they were trying to do as far as, you know, the actual motivations of the characters. But, you know, if we if we can just set aside all of that technical stuff and just say, was it fun? Yeah, a lot of fun. I think it won overall. Yeah, it was fun, too. Good stuff. We get another pre-tape. The off-Broadway production Divided We Stand dives headfirst into our current political climate. What'd you think? To quote the New York Times. <laughs> Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I haven't laughed this hard in a while. And uh, I just, I I couldn't stop. This was one of my favorite sketches of the night for sure. Um, It felt like the high school theater guys all grown up. Yeah, the theater showcase. Yeah. The ones who never got that pretentiousness beaten out of them are now trying to do it professionally. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah every buzzword that was hitting all those reviews were just 
perfect criticism. Yeah. Great way to poke fun at that whole, that whole counterculture, I guess, for lack of a better term. I think it's more of like a wannabe counterculture, right? Like we're the voice of the next generation, but oh, you got your head so far up your butt. <laughs> you don't even understand how it comes off. Uh, so yeah, that is the joke. And they found so many great ways to run at it. Every character just spoke to that underlying premise perfectly, whether it's the director who writes himself, you know, three different raps <laughs> uh, or whether it's the two girls at the end trying to out sing each other on the last note, just everything about it really, really served the premise and just made it exceptionally funny for me too. I thought this was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Let's keep moving. We get another live sketch after stumbling in front of her class an overly dramatic high school teacher retreats into a noir soliloquy. What'd you make of this Kate centric vehicle? Oh, this has to be one of the most hilarious nervous breakdowns <laughs> I've ever seen happen before a class of teenagers. Uh, yeah, that's a driving school class to remember for sure. <laughs> of course, it's all Kate's performance, you know, the timing and, uh, just her brilliant mind makes this work. She just riffs so well. Sure. And this is an excellent example. Yep. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say on it because there isn't a whole lot there other than, you know, Kate kind of going in and out of this dramatic mode where she's kind of in her own head, just trying to drum up these important little sentiments to bestow on the class, but they're having none of it, right? Like they're super matter of fact, they just want their driving lesson and uh, she just won't give it to them. And so they're not giving anything back. And so there's this little tug of war of her just wanting them to indulge her, her little theatrical breakdown and them not being able to get on board. It was fun beyond that. I mean, what can you say? You know, there's no real story here. There's, it doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, they have a very simple out you know, class takes off. She doesn't even realize it till it's too late. I mean, there's just, there's nothing here real sketch wise. It just all hangs on what she's doing on the floor. And and that was amusing. So I can't fault it. It's fun. I just really wouldn't know what else to say to try and sum it up or be clever about it. It's just, you know, Kate doing what Kate do. She do Kate. Dude. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, let's get off that. Let's take a look at our musical performances. Maggie Rogers performs Light On and Falling Water with Rustam Batman Glee. What'd you think of Maggie Rogers? Hey, you know, she's new to the scene. Not many people know who she is quite yet. Mm -hmm. A uh, YouTube discovery, as I understand it. And I see the appeal. I see why she would catch people's eyes. She's got a great natural talent. The songwriting, I'm not sure who's doing the songwriting, but it's... Pretty tight, pretty solid stuff. She's got a great uh, touring act with her. Yeah, she seems like a, an honest, down-to-earth kind of performer, which mm -hmm. I appreciate. Yeah, I think you've probably tapped into kind of what sums her up. She is a singer-songwriter, kind of self-made professional. She was doing her thing long before she was ever discovered. And uh, I'll agree with you. This seems to be issuing from a pretty honest performer. And I like that. It's not quite as maybe manufactured or pop centric as you sometimes get with young female artists. So, Hey, I can get on board with this. I think, uh, I think it was really, really good. Yeah. We, uh, we are in agreement. Excellent. Let's talk weekend update for their lead in Jost and Che tackle Trump's deployment of 15,000 troops to stop the migrant caravan. What did you make of this week's opening salvo? Great uh, run of jokes on the whole border crossing thing. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, you know, we had uh, Oprah for Stacey Abrams. Uh, we have ice cream taking sides on matters. <laughs> it's a really weird time we live in. 
Uh, and uh, Weekend Update is kind of immortalizing it. Yeah. I thought the guys did a good job on Weekend Update tonight for sure. Yep. I think they handled all of this masterfully. I think Joe's had some really solid material, particularly the Oprah stuff, right? Like he took that and ran with it and then made the Santa comparison, which I, I think works, you know, as kind of just a, a cerebral little word picture. It, it held up. It, it got the laugh. Che was doing what Che do. You know, he had his own little, I'm a scumbag. I'm not going to vote, but you know, <laughs> uh, you know, here's all the, the social issues that I want you to take notice of. He has a fun way of being able to sort of divorce himself from any moral or ethical obligation to an issue, but still yeah. make you very much aware of what he wants you to do. Um, I, I think that's cool. I think what he's able to do with the character of Michael Che on update to make a political point holds up pretty well with a lot of this material. So yeah, yeah. yeah across the board, they were doing great. And, and this was solid. Yeah. Got to agree with you. Beautiful. Let's take a look at our first feature. Pete Davidson's first impressions of the midterm election. It's uh Pete's kind of, easing into political humor Mm -hmm. as superficial as it may be. It's, it's really great stuff at times. You got to hand it to him for one of the best recoveries of the night. You know, when he screwed up on Greg Pence. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. He still got the laugh. He still got the laugh. (laughs) He still got the laugh. Yeah. Like he said, it's, it's still landed and that's Mm -hmm. just a testament to how easy he makes it look Yeah, and how he can just flow with whatever comes his way. Yeah. The guy's got talent. Other than that, I felt the announcement at the end was kind of out of place. Sure. Uh, if he really had to say something of that nature, it could have been more organic and not just tacked on. Yeah. That's the one complaint. I get the feeling that either Pete or the show at large wanted to address that kind of as quickly and passingly as possible. I think he just simply wanted to clear the air and make sure that any previous jokes weren't taken the wrong way and then sort of squarely put that in the past so they don't have to talk about it anymore so while you're right it certainly came out of left field and it, it wasn't it was a little tone deaf for him to say you know it's a private matter after he's been mining it for comedy for the better part of a year so you know like <laughs> yes touche yeah. yeah absolutely you could take exception to it even being in the show at all or just kind of what he had to say about it. Uh, it certainly felt, yeah, a little, little hypocritical there to be taking the high road now <laughs> about wanting to keep matters private and delicate after, you know, so many weekend update parts over the last four episodes. Um, but whatever, let's, uh, let's jump off that. Let's take a look at Melissa Villasenor as every teen girl murder suspect on law and order. I got to say this was pretty much perfect. Yeah. Loved a lot of what was going on here. You know, a really honest depiction of that archetype. (laughs) I think a lot of us have seen this. It's in all the procedurals. Didn't even know I've seen it so many times until they pinpointed it here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Melissa doing something that's not an impression or, you know, just a glorified extra. She's doing some meaty stuff and, and carrying her weight on the show, which is great to see. Yep. Just a little note. And maybe you could see this too, but the whole thing felt very Heidi. Yeah. (laughs) Like if you told me this was done on SNL and never told me who was the one playing it. Right. This sounds like something that Heidi would come up with and do. Yeah. The overly specific character observation. Yes. Absolutely. This was Cecily's territory for the longest time. Heidi seemed to take it and run with it last season. So for Melissa to sort of assert herself and really score a big win doing what Cecily and Heidi have kind of been dominating at, uh, it bodes well. It means, you know, maybe there's more room on the update desk than just for Heidi. 
you know, we want to see as much Heidi as we can get too, because she's doing some great work, but we've been waiting for the longest time to see Melissa do some legit character work that says, yes, this person deserves to be a repertory player and not just looked at as sort of like a diversity hire or the impressionist or any of the other boxes that people would want to put her in to say she's not really as valuable to the show as maybe a Heidi or a Cecily. And here she is doing it with aplomb. And uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. She's definitely more than just a goon. Yes. (laughs) She's got more tools in her belt than one would think from what we've seen of her uh, up till now, but I think things are going to be turning around if if this is what her future is going to look like. Yep. I hope this isn't just a one-off episode. That's really Melissa centric. I hope that we get more of this because she's good. You know, when, when you really give her something, she can wrap her head around. She's really, really good. Um, and I just want to point out as far as like character acting, keep in mind that you don't hear even a, a hint of sexy froggy voice in this. She is playing, you know, like the higher pitched, uh, schoolgirl kind of persona, not just in her character, you know, with like her dramatic facial expressions, but it's all there in the voice. We know that she's a great impressionist, but she really had to dial in on that to distance herself from her own persona. And she did that really, really good too. So high marks across the board, great writing on this, but exceptional performance work for Melissa. Exceptional. Beautiful. Absolutely. Let's keep going. Keenan is back as David, big poppy Ortiz to discuss the Red Sox world series victory. Were we ready to see another outing with big poppy? No, I was still laughing from the last time. <laughs> okay. I love me some D or T. Yeah. At this point, I think Keenan just insists on it because he comes out and he's just dying at himself the entire time. He's the most entertained <laughs> person in studio eight H. I love it. Yeah, he really hams it up. For a guy who's been on the show so long, this is one character you can see him still put in that extra oomph. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can just show up and do this show in his sleep, but you can see how much he loves doing David Ortiz. <laughs> um, he'll never slack on that one. I just love it. You know, we can talk about his, his uh, you know, spokesperson deals. <laughs> I mean, who who needs to buy spokes? They come with your bike. It's the concept he sells. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just love it. I love the way he shifts into spokesperson mode. Right. He gives you like the really serious eye. Like he just steadies his head and like gets in the zone before he does his delivery. That is a really, really great little beat that he works yeah. in there. Yeah. This is definitely the hammiest David Ortiz we've seen mm-hmm. at this point. I just challenge him. I challenge Keenan to ham it up and keep going with this until it's almost exponential from now. I was so ready for this. This was the right time to bring him out. It's been long enough that it felt fresh. The writing was strong. They had enough new material that it didn't feel like they were digging too deep, especially like with the sponsors. That was all, you know, brilliant Apple watch. It's a gun (laughs) in case the monkeys come after (laughs) your apples. Like, Oh, just, yeah. They found more than enough fun, fresh stuff to work into this, to make it a worthwhile outing. Keenan brought the heat. And, uh, even though I thought we'd seen peak, Big Poppy last time he came out, which I think was maybe back in 42. I don't even know if we saw him in 43, but it's been a while. Uh, but this was the right time. It felt fresh. It felt good. And I was eating it up. Big win for me. You were eating it up? I was. He must have been a big Dominican lunch, man. <laughs> you got the mofongo. <laughs> we had arepas. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was all good. Weekend update. End to end. Pretty solid tonight, I got to say. 
Yeah, almost flawless. As close as you can get. Yeah, really solid anchor for the show this week. And with that said, let's take a look at the back half of the show. We get a live sketch. The America's Got Talent. Wait, they're good? Special. (laughs) I mean, these like successful America's Got Talent acts that show up with these misleading appearances. (laughs) Yes. That's the show's bread and butter. (laughs) Yep. And it's hardly a a parody. Mm -hmm. If they could get a guy to break out of a coma directly into song, (laughs) they'd have him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to hit the beats of this because their editing is so obvious and so over the top. Like there's a lot of things that make this very recognizably, you know, this type of reality show. It was something that I think everybody knows the show is guilty of. And uh, they made that message clear in a very <laughs> hilarious way. Yeah. So it was a win. It's kind of funny that SNL hadn't figured out a way to skewer it sooner because it is exactly what you think of when you think of America's Got Talent. So I'm glad that, you know, someone came up with the idea to, to run at it. And I feel like what they did was pretty good. It's back half of the show material. It had some fun moments, but it maybe stayed a little longer than it needed to, or maybe they just really kept hitting the same basic joke over and over again. I don't know if we needed as many performances as we got to really make the point by the time we got to Leslie and Keenan. I'm not really sure if I still needed uh, another example of a breakout act. So, you know, maybe there was a little tightening that could have happened there, but that's a, a pretty minor quibble. Yeah. This was still a, a fun idea. They ran at it really well. The look was perfect. You know, all of the graphics that separate each of the segments, all of that was on point. So there was a lot that was working here. Uh, I just would have maybe tightened it up a little if if I'd had final cut on it. Yeah. And uh, we got a little bit of ego, which was good to see from our new girl. Yeah, that might be her only appearance for the night, which isn't unheard of for a featured player. But, you know, hopefully in the coming weeks, we'll, we'll be able to see something a little meatier out of her. Yeah. She got something. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we take a look at our next pre-tape, Hucka PM, the only sleep medication strong enough for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Some great physical comedy here from 80. <laughs> yes. And uh, <laughs> I, I find myself scratching my head while I laugh because you'd think she'd figure out how effective this stuff is on her, <laughs> but she insists on taking it in the most inconvenient moments. You know, I would make sure I was already laying in bed, not standing up, uh-huh. especially over a balcony. No, you wouldn't want to be in any like compromised position that could lead to some insane physical comedy. You wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't want to let that happen. Yeah. Cause there wouldn't be a sketch at all. <laughs> we, we could certainly pick apart the <laughs> realism of it all, but when it comes right down to it, were you having as much fun watching 80 just collapse completely comatose <laughs> in the most, you know, mid sentence, most awkward positions. And then, you know, just tumbling and rolling and just going end over end in the most hilarious ways. Were you not eating that up? Cause I had so much fun with this. I had it for breakfast, lunch and dinner <laughs> and midnight snacks. Yeah. You got to applaud oh. 80 when they give her something like this, where she can have a little bit of fun with the, the physical comedy. She goes for it. She doesn't hold back. And a lot of that, you know, is, pre-tape editing magic it's not like she really went over a banister but uh some of the stuff that she did do where it's definitely her taking the tumble she really nails it and not just the actual physical work of it but the uh the comedic face right like the face just completely going blank 
for a fraction of a second before she tumbles and her like holding that there's a lot of, a lot of fun physical performance in there that I think she really, really nailed, especially at the end when she's doing her little wrap up speech about it. And then she takes the pill mid sentence and <laughs> you know, it's coming, but it's still just the speed with which it takes effect. <laughs> it gets me yeah. every time. <laughs> Thanks. <hun. laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, this was working and it was a fun little goof on the idea of, her constantly being showered with criticism of like, how can you sleep at night? You monster. And them just taking that uh, and just running with it in such a hilarious way. Yep. This is pretty good for this late in the show. Now we know how she sleeps at night. Now we know moving on for our 10 to one sketch. If you got a fugly pug, put a rug on that pug with pug wigs. <laughs> it's a good tagline. It is. It's, it's a brilliant. tagline. <laughs> I I think uh, my lack of uh, composure right now is probably saying volumes about how much fun I was having with the show at this point. What did you think? <laughs> I'm laughing at you now. Was was this a fun ten to one? Yeah, it's all hilarious. The concept of it's funny. Still trying to figure out why it's only for this one breed of dogs. <laughs> and why you can't put this wig on any other dog? It's because pugs are just terrible looking dogs. So if any dog needs a makeover to be presentable, it's going to be a pug. Yeah. It was, it was fun. And you know, where they cut to stills, they could get a few more quick jokes, right, right. uh, fill up some more time without relying on too many dogs. And then the princess Diana capper. <laughs> right. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just to throw people a curve at the end there. You think you're just going to get funny after funny after funny. And then they just kind of give you a little bit of a gut punch there. So many emotions while still awkwardly laughing at it for some reason. Yeah. I appreciated it. Yeah. No, I was laughing with you. Okay. That is our episode recap. Let's take a look at our moment of the night. My moment of the night is uh, during weekend update mm-hmm. when uh, Michael Che kind of chimed in as the bad cop. Right. In uh, <laughs> Melissa's. He's got the toothpick. Yeah. yeah. The teen suspect uh, when, um, when Joe's quote unquote partner, uh, <laughs> partner. You know, came into the mix. <laughs> right. Just the way he was scowling with that toothpick. Yeah. I almost felt like I was laughing at the wrong thing at the, <laughs> at that time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's what sticks out for me probably for that reason. Yeah. There's definitely a lot in that feature to get on board with. No doubt. Uh, for my moment, I am going with the KCR news, Albany sketch, the little scene at the end, when they do the full blown weather girl version of the proposal, there's a fun moment where 80 just kind of walks back into frame from off camera, right? And she just, leans on the anchor desk and just kind of tries to drink in a little bit of screen time in her classless way. <laughs> I don't know what she was doing there, but it had me giggling so much because she's not a part of this, right? She's not even supposed to be there. It's super awkward that she was even, you know, contacted in any way to, to participate in this. So she has no role, no place. Yeah. So she just kind of comes out and does sort of like, a greaser pose. Like, uh, I'm just, I'm here. I'm cool. I'm just taking it in because I can do whatever the heck I want. Like there's just something about what she was doing that just said, I don't give a crap. And this is just all hilarious to me. And, uh, I liked it. I just, when, when 80 gives you a look, sometimes she can just really get you in stitches. And, uh, this was, this was funny. Yep. Best sketch. Yeah. For best sketch, I'm going for the Adam Grossman outing. Okay. Uh, this was probably the best one. I've already been a big fan of these. And uh, yeah, the best of the best 
ends up being the best of, uh, of the night for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really love the chemistry between Jonah and Leslie. Yeah. Just thought, uh, you know, that's what made this work so much better than other outings. And, uh, you know, the writing was super tight. So that's why it takes it for me. Fair enough. For my best sketch, I'm going with Melissa Villasenor as every teen girl murder suspect on Law & Order. This was great work. This is the best we've ever seen Melissa perform on the show. It was a new character. It was a really solid, kind of insightful dissection of that trope. It was just well-written, well-delivered, and amazing to see Melissa step up and really kind of embrace her new repertory player role. Mm-hmm. It perked me up. It said, oh, look at this. Look at this. I was not expecting to see something like this from Melissa. And here it is. Good on her. Um, so that's definitely going to take my uh, best sketch of the night. That's great. What do you got for MVP? Well, uh, I'm glad that you gave props to Melissa because she was a high contender. Mm-hmm. But I feel it belongs to 80. Okay. She was on fire pretty much the entire episode. She was a weather girl's birth mother. We yep. were just talking about how awesome that was. Uh, With so little, you know, she yep. had like two lines in that, but they're memorable. Yeah. She was spitting fire in the musical pre-tape. Um, she got to sing a bit about pugs, which was fun. <laughs> and she was falling all over the place as Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Right. That's right. the icing on the cake right there. Yep. So she. She pretty much made a lot of the meat of this show that I enjoy the most. I'm happy to give it to her. Yep. I can definitely respect that, but I'm going with Melissa. She's my girl tonight. Thank you. We have never seen as strong an outing from Melissa. She's had a few outings where she had a memorable sketch, like the, the dirty talk sketch or whatever, you know, she's had moments in her run so far, but she's never had a full episode where you can just look at it and say, yeah. She was there. She was keeping pace. She just felt like a full-fledged player bringing as good a performance as anyone else. And uh, tonight, yeah, she nailed it. She really, really impressed me. So happy to offer my MVP. I'm glad. She was my runner-up. Yep. Well-deserved. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? Hey, I think this is a great. Mm -hmm. It's up there for sure. Mainly, uh, it's a, it was a consistently good show Yep, and had some really, really great moments that shined above that. Yep. You know, for example, weekend update, mm-hmm. uh, being as good as it was and, uh, you know, having a great host, some great writing, this pushed it over the edge for sure. Yep. This one's got me feeling really good about the season. I thought that the Seth Meyers show felt like kind of a return to form. I felt like that sort of set the bar high and showed that they had kind of shaken off the cobwebs from the summer and could turn out a really good show. And I feel like this was neck and neck. This was really great. This could very easily be a, like a 10 o'clock vintage episode entry. Um, I don't think there was any bottoming out of any sketch, even the sketches that maybe didn't ascend to any great heights were still well performed and memorable in their own way. Still had a few solid jokes and a few good beats in them. So there's really nothing to look at here to say, Oh, that dragged it down. Like that just wasn't keeping up with the rest of the material. It was just really even and really fun. Uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. So I, th- I think great is a really easy rating to land on for this one. Yeah. I think we're in lockstep on it. Totally. Beautiful. I got nothing else to say. You got anything else? We've said it all, my friend. All right. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. 
And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, Jonathan Jordan, and Kalen Pope. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Lee Schreiber and musical guest Lil Wayne. But until then, this has been episode number 59 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to Maggie Rogers, Tina Fey, Drew Barrymore, Candace Bergen, Lauren, cast crew, go see my movie mid-90s. Shout to Josh, Charlie, Baby G, and my bro. Look, I don't know any more than you do. I got to homeroom, and they told us Logan was murdered. And you know what? I was happy. She treated me like ass, and now she's dead in the trunk of my car. And I have no idea how she got there. Wait, wait, like she's in your car? Okay, fine. I shoved her in the trunk, but it wasn't my idea, okay? Carrie said we should just put her in the trunk and drive around a little to teach her a lesson. That's all we did. Damn it, Brittany. I'm tired of your lies. Tell the damn truth. Your partner's crazy. Partner? This is supposed to be about books. Okay, fine. They dared me to stab her, but just as a joke. So I stabbed her. But Logan took it the wrong way and started bleeding. Wait, so you did kill your friend? I feel so bad about it. All the terrible things I've done. But I guess the worst crime of all was being a bad friend. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, the worst crime was murder. But teen murder, everyone. Thank you so much. That's it.